Did you ever read one of those books, the ones with multiple plot endings as a kid? You know what I'm talking about? You didn't have those when you were a kid, Barney? You're not that old. You know, they're the ones where you're a certain character, and if you make one decision, you turn to page 114, and if you make another decision, you turn to page 65, and then the story continues for a while. When I was a kid, I used to love those books because of the alternate endings, and of course, I used to try to figure out which one I wanted, uh, and then sometimes, thank you, Deacon Mark, sometimes I would um, uh, purposely choose the wrong answer. You know, uh, one of the ones that I remember specifically was a Star Trek one that I liked, and, uh, you know, I was Captain Kirk in this book, and you know, I, I was acting really impulsively, even more so than, you know, Captain Kirk. And um, I ended up having Scotty beam me into the middle of a rock. And that was the end of the story. Anyhow, I don't have time to read them anymore. Um, I'm not sure that I'd enjoy them anymore, honestly. Um, but we just heard Deacon Mark read that wonderful Luke account in Luke's gospel about Jesus' resurrection. But speaking of alternative endings, I want to ask you a question. What if Jesus had never risen? Have you any thoughts about that? What if there was no Easter no resurrection. No resurrection Sunday. What if it all ended with the cross? With a good, innocent man being executed as a criminal. And that was the end of the story. His body put in the tomb. The stone rolled in front of it. Done. Today, some 2,000 years later, we as Christians almost can't think of that alternate end to the story, with the exception of a few screwball scholars that publish around Holy Week for notoriety. Yet, Jesus' best friends, his disciples who loved him, women who ate with him daily, who worked with him, who walked with him, who listened to his teachings, were not expecting the resurrection. They were expecting an alternate ending, if you will. Look with me today at the gospel text, Luke chapter 24. It's in your bulletins if you don't have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. Well, first of all, you ought to ask yourself, who's the they? Right? This is the problem with lectionary reading. You have to open the Bible to see what's being talked about. Who's the they? Anybody know? The women. Yes, the women. We have to go back to Luke 23 to see who the they are. It was the day of preparation, we read. 
the Sabbath day was beginning, and in verse 55 of chapter 23, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. So here we see the women that had come with him from Galilee are identified. Who are these women? Well, Luke later tells us in this passage, um, chapter 24, verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So Luke fills in a little bit more, but if we turn to Matthew, we see that there's two Marys involved here, right? Matthew 27, another account of the resurrection tells us there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The Gospel of Mark fills in another piece and tells us that a woman by the name of Salome was there too. So we know that there's at least three or four women, depending on how you use the names here, that are going to the tomb. And what are they going to do? Don't miss that. They're going with spices that they had prepared to do what? To anoint the body. Yeah, to anoint the body. Why are they anointing the body of Jesus? Not a trick question. He stinks. If he's dead, yeah, he's been put in the tomb, and as was the Jewish custom to anoint the body, to give it back to the Lord, the body being a sacred thing, a gift from the Lord, they're there to anoint it, and they're expecting him to be dead. We continue reading with verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, and we'll pause there for a minute. So not only is the body not there, but notice their reaction to the body not being there. They're perplexed. They're confused. They're startled. Not only is Jesus not dead where we expect him to be, but he's not dead and in the tomb where we expect him to be. In John's gospel, Mary runs away, Mary Magdalene that is, runs away first and tells Peter and John, and this is what she tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. You see, these women have gone to the tomb not expecting to see Jesus alive, but to follow that Jewish custom of anointing the body. And far from expecting the resurrection, they're expecting the end. Quite simply, they're not alone. The disciples are expecting it to be the end too. They're hiding. And the women thought the crucifixion had been the final chapter of Jesus. They were expecting him to be dead. Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, the apostle John, had seen this Jesus whipped, spat on, mocked, 
They had witnessed Roman soldiers pounding nails through his hands and feet and raised and what was left of his mangled body tortured and put upon the cross. They had seen a Roman soldier stick a spear into the side of Jesus on the cross. Mary, his mother, had held his dead body in her arms, the worst nightmare of any mother. And many of the disciples had just run away and not seen any of it. So put yourself in their position here. They were exhausted, distraught, verging on despair, to say the least. Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, was dead. Or was he? What were they thinking about his teachings at this point? What were they thinking about his prophecy at this point? We know that some of them returned to the fishing business, right? They went back to their work. That fear and that hope was so powerful. I'm sure many of them felt foolish. Why had I wasted my life following this guy around? It weighed on their hearts. But their reality, based upon that end that they think, is about to change. And their lapse of faith is not held against them. The angel stationed at the tomb chides them gently, but then reminds them of Jesus' words. Look with me again at verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And then verse 8 it finally clicks. And they remembered his words. And they remembered his words. What do they do? They immediately act. They run back to the rest of the disciples in verse 9, to the 11, and to all the rest. And they tell them these things. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And of course, the apostles are thrilled. The apostles are overjoyed. They believe right away. Anybody reading? No. What do the apostles do in verse 11? These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They were still expecting that other ending, that all had been lost. Jesus was dead, you foolish women. A corpse is what they expected, a cold end to his life and his ministry, an end to his teaching about the kingdom of God the end of their ministry. The question for the disciples was, what now? But Peter, ever the impulsive one, runs to the tomb. And of course we know from the other gospels that eventually the other apostles believe also. 
with Thomas lagging a little bit behind until chapter 20 in John's Gospel. The ultimate, the impossible ultimate ending for the apostles turns out to be the reality, the true ending that God had planned for Jesus. He has risen bodily, truly, really, he's risen. The question now remains though, what end do you and I have in store when we come to the final page in the book of our own lives? The Bible tells us that it depends on who we say Jesus is and whether we believe in his death and his resurrection, whether we believe and trust in him with our lives, not how much good we do, not that the good will outweigh the evil, not some other thing that's going to make us pleasing to God somehow, like going to church a certain amount of times or taking Holy Communion enough. But who we believe Jesus to be and whether we've put our trust in him. The apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if in Christ we believe him to have died for our sins, if we truly believe him to have risen from the dead, then we can be confident that we are part of his kingdom and that when our final page comes in this life, it won't be the final page, but just the beginning. How do we view the tomb? How do we look at the resurrection? What ultimate end do we have in mind for Jesus? Do we believe it? 19th century preacher and priest John Keeble writes this. I think it's a really interesting quote from one of his homilies on Easter. He says that, the history of the Lord's death and passion may be called in a certain sense the religious history of the whole world. All the persons gathered around the cross, whether as friends or enemies, stand for so many sorts of people and their several ways of behaving towards Jesus, not only in their times or our times, but in all times. First, there's the Jewish leaders who represent the open enemies of Christ and his gospel. Secondly, there's Pilate, a sample of those people, not few, who have been convinced in their hearts that the Christian way is the only right way, yet deliberately give it up for fear of doing themselves harm in the world. Then there's Judas, a type of those most miserable ones, who being especially entrusted by Jesus Christ, fall into the sin of giving the devil an opportunity and entering, of entering into them and tempting them to betray their trust. Then there's the Roman soldiers to represent those unthinking persons who do as the world bids them, whether it's right or wrong. Do you find yourself in one of that first set? If so, Easter is a great opportunity to repent and live asking for the grace of God. For then there's the other side. There was St. John, 
the beloved disciple who stands fast at the cross, who Jesus entrusts his mother to. There's the blessed virgin mother herself, emblems of the highest degree of faith. There's the penitent thief who has done wrong his whole life and yet dies confessing Jesus Christ and has promised that he'll be with him in paradise that day. There's St. Peter who, even though he was weeping and probably at a distance because he had betrayed Jesus, counting himself unworthy to draw near the cross, doesn't end there like Judas, but rather repents and believes. Then there's the centurion, owning like many men of that day, a thoughtful heathen, and coming finally to Christian belief. Then there's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, rich men, disciples of Christ, but won't say anything for fear. Lastly, there's the pious women who went not just to the cross, but to the tomb. Uncertain, yes, not expecting a miracle, true, but who nonetheless were blessed first by being first to witness the resurrection. So I ask, which character are you? Or maybe you're a combination of them. I hope that you fall in that second part. If you're not, it's never too late. God gives us the choice and the opportunity every day that he gives us life. He is the reality. And he's the only way. There's only one end to the book which gives you and I joy, meaning, and eternal life, ultimately. The others, like those silly alternate ending books, the other ways, other than Christ, take you all sorts of places that you don't want to be. Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection is real. And you can have confidence that you will be raised one day as well. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning with sincerity of belief, knowing that you were raised from the dead. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us where we lack belief or doubt. Lord, I pray for those here today that might not fall on the second side of those characters, that, that might still be inquiring, that might still even be enemies of the cross. I ask, Lord, that you would soften all of our hearts, that we might receive that grace which is a free gift offered to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.